church. Anybody glad to be in God's house today? Can we just give Jesus the praise? Yeah, I'm so thankful too that we've got everybody who's online with us as well. Welcome wherever you're watching from. We're glad you're part of our church family. Can we welcome everybody online today as well? Let them, let them hear you today. Good to, good to have you in church with us. And uh, I'm so thankful that you're here and we are in part two of uh, our series, The Book of James, and we have a special treat for you today. Some of our great friends, Pastor Drew and Lauren Frieder from Salisbury, Maryland at Lift Church are in the house with us today. Pastor Drew and I met two years ago in Montana, Billings, Montana. We were on a, a, a pastor's trip together. And uh, on that trip, we just got, we just, we just bonded. We just had this kind of brotherhood from that moment. And then we went to Israel together back in May. And, um, and I was able to go on my way up to Israel, able to stop in Salisbury and see what God is doing there in Salisbury at Lyft. Uh, they, have, they have signed a contract, a lease on a Gander Mountain. Everybody, if you don't know what a Gander Mountain is, it's a, it's a version of like a Cabela's type uh, Bass Pro, smaller version. But come on, they're renovating that and God's about, God is exploding what they're doing. He's enlarging their territory and, uh, and this is his second time to be with us. If you're wondering, r- remind me who Pastor Drew is. He's the banana guy. Last year, through, bana- through bananas, all right? And so, uh, so we're so honored and so thankful to have them in the house with us. This weekend. If you are online, we wish you were here with us so you could be part of this. But would you do me a favor and would you just stand up on your feet? Welcome, Pastor Drew, as he brings the word today. Come on, thankful that you're here, brother. Come on, I do have some bananas to throw. Here we go. No. (laughs) Hey, can we make it louder for God before you sit down? Let's make it really loud for God. He's who it's all about. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can. Grab a seat, and we're, we truly are honored to be with you guys, and um, I, I enjoyed it last time, although um, I think it was in the third experience. Last time I was here, I threw a banana too hard, didn't know my own strength, and it busted against this uh, uh, little wall on, on the... Uh, and so whoever was seated underneath there, I owe an apology to, so if you're here at the second service, um, and if you weren't here, we're going to have fun today. We're, um, uh, how many of y'all know y'all have just some incredible pastors here at City Hope. If you know it, show your love. Pastor Ben and Annalise and the team and the staff and Ben and so many others. Um, uh, I have really enjoyed getting to know your pastor. Um, He gave me COVID in Montana. I'm pretty sure of it, okay, because he came back without it and I came back with it and hadn't seen my wife and kids in, you know, eight days since we were out there and I had to quarantine for the next 14, so it was miserable. Um, But uh, I really enjoyed uh, getting to know him and so much so that we went to Israel together and um, had a, a blast in Israel walking around together. And so I am really grateful for him and his four boys. He's got 
four boys, uh, my wife and I, we have three girls, so we're trying to balance the scale a little bit, all right? But my beautiful wife is here. Lauren, would you just raise your hand? Uh, she's, she's our Maryland queen. We, we, uh, we, come, we come from Maryland. It's our fault. The weather followed us up here, okay? Last time I was with you, it was smoking hot, okay? It, 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 was, it was a dry heat here in Texas, and this time it was like, what's up? We brought some Maryland weather with, for you, so I hope you're enjoying that. Um, but this is my my family. Um, this is my wife and then our three girls. Our oldest is 14. Her name's Bella. She is uh, playing keyboards in our worship bands. Um, and I'm telling you, she's got a gift of leadership and she's got a gift of uh, worship. And so we are so proud of her. Um, our second oldest is Amia. Um, she just turned eight and uh, she is a fireball. She is full of energy and comedy. I don't know where it comes from. I'm, uh, I think she's going into impromptu stand-up one day. And then um, our youngest is Gianna, and she's six. And so we have an amazing family, and we bring our greetings from Maryland. So uh, I am excited to be with you guys today. I know that you guys have been in the Book of James series. Um, it's week two of the Book of James. And so we're going to jump into it, but first I want to tell you a story to set things up. In the year 848 B.C., this ninth century before Jesus shows up. Um, in 848 BC, a new member of the royal family took the throne as king. When he took the throne as king, he was a young king. And because he was young, he was threatened by all other kings. Back in their day, when you became king, um, it wasn't always, it, it was highly honored, but you also, your life became in great risk because anyone who's in line to the kingdom thought about, if I could just murder you, I could have the throne for myself. Even people who are two and three positions removed would just kill multiple people so that they could have the throne. So since he was a young king, he, um, he eliminated uh, his closest threats, which included his own brother's. Um, other political people of power, um, one by one he eliminated them, and after a short eight-year reign as king, um, the history book of all history books records his legacy, okay? Second Chronicles 21, verse 20 says this, Jehoram, okay, in that time, the J would be pronounced as a Y, okay? So say Y, <laughs> Because it's uh, Yeshua, not Jesus, okay? And so anyway, uh, Jehoram uh, was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. You're like, I got it. You told me that. Um, no one was sorry when he died. <laughs> Go to the next slide. Um, it continues. They buried him in the city of David. Okay, cool. At least he was buried around royalty and stuff, um, but not in the royal <laughs> cemetery. And so uh, there are a lot of bad epitaphs to have written about you when you die. Uh, my wife and I go on vacation. When we do, I can't turn off uh, preaching and thinking about teaching about Jesus. Um, so I'm always grabbing things from places. And we went into this one museum that has some of the worst epitaphs that have ever been discovered. Uh, here are a few tombstones uh, that you would not want written about you. How about this one? Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. <laughs> 
That's from our home state of Maryland. Okay, anyway, they, pray for us up north, okay? Um, here's another one. Um, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake. He stepped on the gas instead of the brake. <laughs> You're like, how'd that brother die? What's he known for? He hit the wrong pedal. <laughs> it's all done. How about this one? Um, you don't want this one written about you. Beneath this stone, my wife doth lie. She's now at rest, and so am I. <laughs> okay, that was in Alabama, okay? <laughs> Praise the Lord, Ben and Annalise got out of there. Anyway, no. <laughs> um, those are some bad tombstones you don't want written about you. I think maybe worse is what was written about um, Jehoram. No one was sorry when he died. There was a collective, whew, glad he's gone. <laughs> Never really liked him. I had struggles with him. Um, and, and my question today is, what drove Jehoram to his own demise? Is there a lesson we can learn from his life so we don't repeat it and we're not destined to do the very same thing? So let's jump into the book of James, uh, week two. Uh, I, I listened to your pastor's sermon last week. It was such a fantastic uh, message on trials and temptations. And so we're going to continue in the book of James. If you've got your Bible, go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, if you're using a smart device today, do the smartest thing you can, and that is read your Bible off of it, and I'm in the New Living Translation if you want to know which translation I'm reading from today. Um, but the book of James is written from a brother of Jesus. Um, he's, written, uh, he's writing Christian ethics, almost like Christian morals, like now that uh, Jesus is gone and we've got to carry out Christianity, here's how we should be acting. Here are some things we need to keep in mind so that we don't crumble from within, so that we're paying attention to one another. And here's what he says in James 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, what causes the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Turn to your neighbor and, says, and say, it comes from within. Come on, this sounds like an October message. Come on, you know what I mean. You turn on your smart TV and Netflix and, and uh, uh, Prime Video and everything else is suggesting a whole bunch of spooky messages. So well, look, this sounds like it. It comes from within. All this quarreling and fighting. Go, go to the next verse. It says this, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Let's keep Jehoram in mind as we read this scripture. You are jealous of what others have, and you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it in the first place. And he finishes by saying this, um, and even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You know, we all suffer from a comparison trap. I think one of Jehoram's biggest demises is, is he couldn't take his eyes off of other people. Um, we live now in the 21st century where it's harder than ever 
to keep your eyes off of other people. We, we live on social media and we have devices that are constantly reminding us how much better their vacation was than yours. How, how much prettier their hair is today than yours. Um, how much better their marriage is than yours. Come on, we live in a comparison thing. So much so that the creators of social media have admitted that they won't let their own adolescent children on their own platforms because they realize that all it leads to is comparisons of you and me and it leads which turns into anxiety depression and suicidal thoughts i gotta ask a question when a maker of a social media platform like instagram says my own kid can't get on it because of comparison we should take note now i'm not here to attack social media i think it's here and it's here to stay what 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 i'm trying to help is what james is saying is we've got to learn to deal with the evil within each one of us and that is that we're so quick to compare ourselves to one another we're so quick to think lesser of us or lesser of another because somehow they don't measure up or we don't measure up to them in fact um, I, I, I like um, collecting things when I see it. I remember seeing America's Funniest Videos one time where there was this clip that I was like, this illustrates it very well. Watch this clip real quick. My daddy has a gold tooth. Wow, gold tooth? My dad has a gold tooth. My dad has diabetes. <laughs> we can't help ourselves, can we? Like, oh, your daddy's got one up on me? Your daddy's got a gold tooth? My daddy's got diabetes. <laughs> it's like, it's like we, we, she may not know one's not better than the other, but we all think that way. And I think it comes in at our roots. I, I, my wife and I have been in youth ministry for 18 years, and I say we're counting because, um, you know, we're, we're highly involved in our youth ministry in Maryland. And, um, you know, I, I just find you go on a middle school camp, and you'll hear this. We have a cat. Oh, yeah? Well, we got three turtles. Oh, yeah? Well, we got six squirrels. And it's just like, you know, it's always just trying to one-up one another. And as we get older, if we're honest, we just get better at masking it. We're just not this uh, um, extroverted about it. We just don't share it out loud, but we think it. <laughs> we think various things when we compare ourselves to one another. Be in good comfort because this problem goes back all the way to the beginning of humanity. Abel uh, worships God and Cain compares his worship to Abel and he kills him. In fact, when the people of God in the Old Testament said, God, we want to be able to get to heaven on our own. We can do it. Just give us some rules of engagement of how to do it. God said, cool, I'll give you 10 commandments. The 10th one goes like this. Do not de desire to possess anything, say anything, that belongs to another person. Not a house, not a wife, not a husband, a slave, an ox, a donkey, or anything else. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, keep your eyes off my donkey. <laughs> In fact, that sounds like a good name for this message. The book of James, week two, keep your eyes off my donkey. Why are you always looking at my donkey? Why are you always looking at my stuff? Why can't we keep our eyes where they need to be? Um, it's as if James, when he wrote this book, it's as if he had Jehoram and many other uh, men and women in mind. He, he said things like this, you want what you don't have, 
You want charisma, you want intellect, you want confidence. You don't have it, Jehoram, and people like Jehoram, so you scheme and you kill to get it or keep it. Uh, You are jealous of what others have, so you wage war to take it away. And so jealousy is an insecurity that kills. Let's talk about that a little bit. Jealousy is an insecurity that kills. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Jealousy kills in three different ways. In fact, comparing kills, number one, them. Comparing. The moment we start comparing, we begin to kill them. We begin to take something away from them. We begin to try to lower them so that we feel better about our own situation. Um, comparing kills them. In fact, Jehoram, I didn't read the whole Second Chronicles 21. Let me give you a little more context as we talk about each one of them. Give you a better picture of Jehoram. If, is that okay? Say okay. Okay. Uh, it says in verse 3 uh, of Second Chronicles 21, their father had given each of them valuable gifts. So all the kids got hooked up by daddy. (laughs) You all received a gift. You all were taken care of. However, he designated Jehoram as the next king because he was the oldest. So Jehoram should have been able to say, man, he hooked us all up, but he hooked me up more than anything else. The problem is Jehoram couldn't keep his eyes on his own prize. Jehoram had to start worrying about but he gave them this, and he gave them that, and they're second in line, and they're third in line, and, and this makes me to the point where he literally began to kill them. Look at verse 4. But when Jehoram became solidly established as king, he killed all his brothers and some of the other leaders of Judah too. Literally, comparing kills them. In fact, the very next step after comparing After you are comparing to them, your next step is eliminating them. We do this. We've seen it happen in your school hallways. So she's having a good hair day. And then you start going, I don't know what the fuss is all about her. Or he's funnier, and he's got the whole group laughing. And you start going, what are they all laughing about? He's not even that funny. Y'all just laugh at anything, right? All we're trying to do is kill them. Like if I could just lower them, I'd feel better about myself. And so Jehoram literally killed them, but we do the exact same thing. We start attacking other people we compare ourselves to. How in the world did they get so many social followers? They are dumb online. Why do people like this? Why did they even share it? And we think sometimes as we compare ourselves to them. We attack the one that's prettier than me, more successful than me, a better leader than me, who's funnier, smarter, richer than me. And so comparing kills them. Number two, comparing kills you. The moment we start comparing, we start killing ourselves. Um, Jehoram has got an interesting um, uh, description of what happened in his life over his short eight-year reign. Let me give you a little bit about what your Bible says about Jehoram in his eight-year reign. It says, two of his own towns revolted. That's not a good start, all right? Um, his enemies invaded and carried away everything of value. Don't write that on my resume. Jehoram's thinking, I lost two towns. Everything's gone. His wives and his children were taken as well. 
He wasn't too worried about that. He was worried about his own reputation when we compare him to other people. And if that's not enough, verse 18 says something that you'll need to brace yourself for, but it's in your Bible. The Lord struck him with an incurable intestinal disease. Mm. It's TMI, right? It caused his bowels to come out. And he died in agony. Anybody else like, that's in my Bible? <laughs> like, this is graphic. <laughs> this, is, this is explaining a lot. Now, listen, what is literally happening? Because he can't keep his eyes secure in what God's called him to do, he's comparing so much so that he's not only killed them, he's killing himself. He's destroying. His anxiety is literally riddling him. It's, it, it's tormenting him. It's killing him because he can't be secure in who he's called to be. And so in the meantime, he is destroying his very own life. The Bible says he only lives eight years before he dies. And the next, um, um, the, I wrote it this way. The surest way to live a substandard life is to compare yourself to another. I hope you write that down. The surest way to live a substandard life is to compare yourself with another. Because God made you on purpose with a purpose. And it is good to have mentors, and it is good to have guides, but God's not trying to make you a direct replica of them. There are principles and values that I can take away, but the moment I start going, I'm not that funny, I'm not that good, I don't measure up, is the moment Satan's got you in his grasp because it starts killing the mission inside of you. It starts killing the design God's got for you. You are uniquely made. We got to get comfortable with that. Um, but by focusing on how beautiful she is, you become unattractive. By becoming bitter for his promotion, you become less likely to be the next one promoted. <laughs> by fixating on their vacation, you spend all your staycation uh, researching for the next vacation that tops theirs. <laughs> like, um, by hating how smart they are, you just straight up acting dumb. You know, you ever had somebody start acting squirrely? And you're just like, what is going on here is that you're trying to be something you're not called to be. And so we got to stop comparing you and me and get back to what you're called to be. Listen, this, this doesn't mean that as pastors that we aren't vulnerable to the exact same thing. In fact, I think our pastors need to be most aware that we can get on Instagram too and just start comparing this, that, and the other. In fact, you, your pastor is such a great pastor, he can do something I can't do. He can do impressions. Have you, got, have you been blessed by him doing impressions before? Okay, if not, from the back of the bus in Jerusalem, I made sure City Hope had documentation of how good your pastor is at doing impressions as he has the whole tour bus rolling. Go ahead and play that footage. <laughs> yep. Which way on the face? This way. This way. Okay. This one. You got to give the context, though. Give the context. So, so this over here is definitely the place of, we could say... <laughs> Come on. Your pastor sounds a little bit like Drew when he's talking about. <laughs> this is what happened. We went to this one uh, place and, um, in, in Jerusalem, and they, they, um, our tour guide was leaving a little 
that um, uh, we didn't be- know what we could believe and what we couldn't believe. And so uh, he'd tell you that this was absolutely the place. And then 10 minutes later, he'd tell you this was the place. And you're just like, hold up, my friend. This is not lining up in our Bible. And so it was hilarious as we just talked about that. And Ben can do an impression like nobody else. I hope he's not doing an impression of me the moment I get off this stage. But he's really gifted in that way. Let me get a little bit more serious with you. You guys launched a church the exact same day my wife and I launched a church in Maryland. And I remember when we met how much I celebrated the fact that in 2020, you guys stepped into this building. Come on, isn't God doing a good work here? Can y'all give it up for him? We're, we're uh, two, two years later under contract for a building. And so if I let Satan have his way, I could start thinking, man, City Hope's doing it in such a way that we don't measure up with them. And here's how Satan likes to use it against you. Whether you're on the good side or the lesser than side, he gets both of you because you could start thinking pridefully, um, uh, 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 comparing yourself to another church. We could start thinking God's missed us and we need to be careful that we just say, God's doing a great work. And what I'm doing. In fact, instead of killing somebody else, instead of killing them and me, I think the the best antidote to that is you start celebrating. Instead of fixating, you start celebrating. The moment you find yourself going, oh my goodness, I wish we could have, you start going, you know what? I'm just going to celebrate the crud out of this. Come on. Uh, We need to be celebrators. Come on. The church down the road from us just stepped into a brand new building. You know what I did? I went on social media and I celebrated the crud out of what God is doing because it is good. When brothers and sisters are in unity together, but I think Satan likes to get into the middle of it. I hope me being transparent is, uh, is giving you uh, 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 a chance to be transparent with yourself. And, and look, because we all deal with comparison. And so um, write this down. Comparing you and me leads to self-defeating prophecies. Comparing you and me leads to self-defeating prophecies. You literally become something that you never wanted to be. That's why I think, you know, if, if you've ever been in those situations where you were just like, I'll never become my parents. The best way to become your parents is to fixate on never becoming your parents. <laughs> if you don't want to become that, you need to get closer to God. And God will walk you through any healing that is needed so that you become a healthier you. But it's not on fixating on them versus you. Come on. Uh, number three. That was extra. I didn't throw that in the first experience. I pray that blesses somebody. Number three, comparing kills God. Comparing kills God. Some of you are at this point are going, hold up. When I just compared, God had nothing to do with it. This wasn't about him. This was about her. This was about me. That was about him. This was about me. Let, let me, let me uh, respectively push back a little bit. It's not their fault they have plump lips that you wish you had. It's not their fault they have a metabolism that gives them abs of steel and they don't even try and they eat Twinkies all day long. God gave them that. So attacking them doesn't help them. It doesn't help you. What you are really exposing is that, God, I have a problem with you. Because, God, 
I don't have a problem with them having abs of steel. We live 30 minutes from the ocean. Put a shirt on, my friend, because you're like, you know, washboard up front, you know. I don't have a problem with the fact that he's got abs of steel. In fact, I celebrate it. What I have a problem is, is when you were passing out abs of steel in heaven, you missed me. So by comparing, we're really attacking God's sovereignty. We're saying, God, you screwed up. You missed me. They do it better than me. How come I can't be more like this? How come they are more like that? And, and, and again, if you're on the better side, you can start thinking, I worked hard for this, and really it was the sovereignty of God. you got to put work into it. But it's the sovereignty of God that he set you up. And so we, we kill God's sovereignty when we fixate on you and me. And so um, jealousy, uh, jealousy the, pro- the problem with God is it's a lie. Jealousy says this. It says this. If God had taken better care of you the way he did for others, you'd be much better off. That's the lie jealousy starts to say. <laughs> if I had that, I'd be in a better shape. If I had that family, I would have no reason to complain. If I was born on that side of the tracks, if I was this person, if I was that smart, if I was funny, we got to be careful that we don't overlook what God has done in us. Psalms 139.14 is a verse that you have got to come to, uh, uh, to a revelation of. He says, I will give thanks and praise to you, God, for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Here's the hardest part, the next sentence says and my soul knows it very well come on we can say i was fearfully and wonderfully made but we got to get to our point where our soul says i'm comfortable with the fact that they look further along than me then they seem to be better with people than me they seem to be better with numbers than me because when we get secure in ourselves and we know god fearfully and wonderfully made me then we can become the body who starts to say come on you are the arm and you got gifts i am the knee and i got gifts if we put this thing together we can be an almighty body with him as the head but we have to stop comparing you and me we got to start applauding what God has done in other people and my soul's got to be very comfortable with this is what I do well. Because you do something well. Tell your neighbor, you do it well, babe. You do it well. So what do I do about comparison? I want to give you some application points as we close. Number one, catch yourself. James chapter 4 says, he says, you want what you don't have. You're jealous of what others have. He's saying this, become aware of how you feel inside. Catch yourself. I want to tell you, some of you might have been raised in a house where comparing yourselves to others is what you did for dinner. Like, it becomes so second natural that you don't even catch yourself comparing yourself to others. You, you could be in high school and you could dog another person. It wasn't even that great of a throw that won the championship, you know? Like, why did they get all the glory, right? We, we don't even catch ourselves sometimes. My, we had some family members of mine. I'm from Louisiana. Don't hold that against me. And uh, come on. And uh, we, we, our saints are struggling. Help us out. Okay. So uh, we had my uh, family members come up from Louisiana, and they stayed with us for a little while. And the moment, you ever hosted somebody before, and the moment they were gone, come on, I can't believe I'm saying it, you, but you know it. You thought it too. Close the door, and you're like, 
<laughs> made it through that. It wasn't because we didn't enjoy our time together. We loved it. We loved who they are. But their dinner time routine became a roasting of one another. So it was literally siblings roasting siblings. It was siblings roasting parents. It was parents roasting children. It gets really awkward <laughs> as, you, as you watch them. And I don't even think they're aware. Do you realize you are cutting your kid pretty hard right now? Do you realize that, like, this has gotten out of control? So I think the first step is to catch yourself. And when you do, ask this question. Where does this thought come from? God, me, or Satan? The deep theologian that I am, let me help eliminate one of those options. It ain't coming from God. Because when you get a comparing thought that starts attacking them, and starts belittling yourself, that's not the God who created you wonderfully and fearfully. That is either coming from your own thoughts within, or that's coming from Satan who's like, if I can get you to fixate on this, I got you off mission. So the first step is to catch yourself. Ask, where does this come from? And it definitely doesn't come from God. Number two, take it to God. Take it to God. God can handle your transparency. God can handle you being brutally honest with him. If you read the Psalms, King David was described as a man after God's own heart. And if you read some of his thoughts, he was like, I wish that brother wasn't even born. <laughs> I, 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 they're all after me. I don't like it very much. But he would often turn a page halfway through it. He was real with God, but then he'd say, I, I, I was in turmoil and anxious until I entered the Lord's house. Until I realized that, God, you are on the throne, and you will take care of all things. I put my trust in you. You have never failed. And so we have to take it to God. God can handle it. James 4, verse 2 says this. You don't have what you, what, what you want because you don't ask God for it. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here because your pastor did a fantastic job last week talking about ask God. James here again is saying, ask God. You can ask God about it. You, you can talk to him. In fact, here's the ultimate demise of Jehoram. I haven't forgotten about him. His eight-year reign died. No one was sorry when he died. Why did people write that about him? I think his main pitfall was this. Check out this scripture. It says in 2 Chronicles 21.10, all this happened because Jehoram had abandoned the Lord. He was trying to do it on his own. He's looking at his brother, and we cannot blame him for thinking he might be smarter than me. He might have been the one for the job. Sometimes we think about that, you know, I got promoted, they should have got it, I don't know if I'm in the right place. I think sometimes maybe our motive is um, we have to be careful that we don't say, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and so that's what keeps me in a place of faith, right? In fact, when we take it to God, here's, here's what I say, repeat this after me, when I stray, pray. Oh, I, I, I messed you up, let me try it again. When I stray, pray. Preacher problem, right? I held too long of a gap. You tried to answer back. Thank you. Y'all are an amazing church. But I think about that. When I stray, pray. Ink that on your forearm, right? <laughs> when I stray, pray. Because I need to come back to him instead of going to other places. Um, um, talk to God about your struggle. Here's what it could sound like. God, I can't help but notice that. 
but help me trust you whether I get that or not. It's just a vulnerable prayer. It's not even a very well-polished prayer, but I think God loves it. He's like, you saw it and you came to me. You came to talk to daddy about it. Come on, and, and what do I do about it? Number one, catch yourself. Number two, take it to God. And number three, check your motives. James four, verse three says about checking your motives. He says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. We gotta be careful why are you asking God for that? Are you asking so that I can finally be better than them? Your motives are all wrong. Are you asking because I would no longer have to rely on God? It, I, I wouldn't need faith anymore because I would be all wise and I would, be, um, uh, I would have everything that I need or anything like that. L- listen, we can sometimes, our desires would actually eliminate a place for going, God, in my weakness, you are strong. Everything that I am not, you, you, you lift us up. You could also ask, are you asking? Because you are never will be content without it. I love, as I close with this, Philippians 4.12. The Apostle Paul who said, he earlier said, I got a thorn in my flesh. I don't like it very much. In other words, I've got a shortcoming. I've got an issue. I've got a struggle. He said, I asked God to take it away from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, he didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to answer my prayer. He didn't do it the way I thought he should do it. Still, his grace is sufficient for me if it never comes my way. He also said this. He said, I have learned the secret of being content. Say that word, content. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He said, whether I am well-fed or I am hungry, whether I live in plenty or I live in want, I have learned the secret of being content. And I think the beauty of God is that the closer you get to him, the more you're content, even with your shortcomings. He's aware of them, and he still sent his son to die for you and me. The Bible says, even while we were still yet in sin, Christ died for us because of his, 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 I can't even say, his extravagant love. So if he loves us that much, if he's aware of it, we gotta get content in him. Whether I get the abs of steel, whether I get the job promotion, whether I get my hair to act right, whether I get that person or not, whether I get kids who are obedient in public or not, God helps somebody. I have learned to be content in who God is and what he's doing in my life. And so I can celebrate what others have. I can celebrate my own weaknesses because in my weakness, he is strong. Amen? I feel like I just want to give a moment for the Holy Spirit to do a little work right now. If you would, just kind of bow your head. Reflect inwardly. And the Holy Spirit has a way of making it very personal. I might have used general examples today, but he can prod our heart where we're like, yeah, we deal with this here. And the Holy Spirit is not calling you out to condemn you. That's not his tool. The Holy Spirit will gently remind you of it so that today, through repentance, you could just let it be. 
ask for forgiveness. So right now, as the Holy Spirit's moving throughout the room and, and you ask him, God, where am I dealing with this? You can respond to that with just a simple prayer. You don't have to say it out loud, but maybe say something on the inside if you don't like it. You can make it your own prayer. You can say this, God, I see it. I don't, I don't love that about me. I want to stop fixating on that. And I want to give you my life. You, you are the Lord and you are good. You've not abandoned me nor forsaken me. Though my path might be different, you are God. And I trust your sovereignty. Anything like that will work. You might have to pray that multiple times a day. If you catch yourself later today comparing, then just use that. Before we open our head, uh, open our eyes and pick up our heads, let's just have a moment where there's people in the room I know who you're like, I, I'm not that close to God. And I'm realizing that God wants a relationship with me. Listen, he so much loves you and wants a relationship with you that he sent his son to die for you. And, and it was his honor to do it. He chose the cross for your salvation. And that means that the thing for me, when I was 20 years old, I was lost. I had uh, uh, built a resume of sin in my life. And I remember sitting in a moment like this, realizing Christ died for me, but I'm not... Um, I'm not worthy of that because I've done a lot of dumb things. And if I were to appear before God today, I would hope he would not bring up a number of things. Here's the problem. God's sovereign. He sees all, knows all. He knows your thoughts. He knows every secret place. So we can't hide in that. Or I knew I couldn't lie to myself and think that was enough. I knew he knew. God doesn't desire to bring up your rap sheet to hold it against you. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. So in this moment right now, if you're like, Pastor Drew, there are things I need to get right with God, then this is your moment to lay those down and to get real with God and just to confess your sins to him. We're gonna pray in just a moment. I won't call you forward. I won't, I won't embarrass you, but I am asking you not to be embarrassed by God's moving on your life. And I know God's touching you right now. And so if that's you in this place, no one's looking around, would you just quickly throw your hand high into the air and say, that's me. I wanna give my life to Christ or I wanna get right with God again today. Come on, just throw it up. Yes, sir, I see you. Yes, yes, thank you so much. Thank you for your courage. Uh, in the balcony, online, if that's you, would you just say, that's me too. And we'll do that together. Let's pray together, City Hope Church, as we say, repeat after me, just say, Jesus, I've messed up a lot. I've sinned and fallen short of the standard you had for me. I repent of my sins. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And when he took the cross, he died for my shame. He paid the price for my sin. And his blood covers all sin. Cover me today, Jesus. I am a new person in Jesus Christ. I praise you. You are my Lord and you are my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, City Hope. Let's celebrate with the decisions made.